Gladys, from your perspective, what is one of the most common misconceptions that foreigners have of Cuba and its people? Well, I think that people have this idea of Cuba being uh, medical, the way that the Cuban government um, tells propaganda about Cuba is by saying that Cuba is una ciencia médica, like a medical emporium um, that plus the population uh, doesn't have to pay money for the hospitals or the doctors, that, that everything is just fantastic, that everything is state of the art. It's a misconception and that the Cuban people are very happy with their government. That is the biggest misconception. The Cuban people have become slaves, second and third class citizens. And uh, basically, it's a system in which the military and the people that have high positions in the Communist Party are the only ones that have access to good food, tourist facilities, international travel. But the Cuban people, which is 99% of the population, they cannot. For, for almost 50 years, the, the Cuban people have an upper hay, and they were they were not allowed to use their tourist facilities. The Cuban people could not enter the uh, hotels. They could not travel outside Cuba. They could not have a passport. Some people are not free. That's the biggest misconception. The people outside Cuba think that the people of Cuba are free to do to live a free life, like people in Mexico and m many other countries. And I'm interested, Gladys, you now live in the U.S., so let's talk a little bit about your journey. So why did you leave Cuba? When did you leave Cuba? And what is it that drove you to move to the United States? I, I grew up. I, I lived in the countryside. I was a country girl and um, went to university in Havana. When I finished university, just during university and by working in Cuba the first few years after graduating, I just realized there's no future for me. Um, in Cuba, you cannot buy a house. You cannot rent a house. Uh, I left in 1992. There was a big hope and young people like me, I was 24 at the time, that the reforms of the Soviet Union the economic reforms and the separation and the um, the collapse of, of the wall would bring arms in Cuba. And it was a big dissolution for young people like me that were hoping for a little bit of freedom to Cuba after the collapse of the communist bloc. I realized that it's not going to happen, Fidel Castro, spoke very emphatically and, and just decided that Cuba was going to continue the communist path and that the Cuban people were going to be better off that way. And then I realized there's no future for me here and that there will be no future for my children. And then how were you able to go to the U.S. and like, why did you choose Georgia in this case? Well, uh, I... Every Cuban that leaves Cuba and is able to come to the United States, first, the first place to go is Miami, Florida. So that's what I did. I was able to then 
When that happened in 1992, uh, the regime, they have this, uh, it's like a technique. Every time the situation gets difficult in Cuba and they have, um, they feel like the people are going to rebel or complain about their leadership, they open up. Like they, they just, it's like a dam, they open, open, they leave a little break, water leaves, a few people leave, and then they are able to stay for a few more years without trouble. That's what, that's what happened in 94. They lowered the age in which people could start traveling outside Cuba. Before then, you had to be older than 65 to be able to go and visit family that would um, invite you to visit them. And it was mostly done through the Red Cross. But in 92, they started opening up to younger. So I was able to um, get a letter of invitation from a Bulgarian woman that was the mother of one of my friends in school. And so she invited me to Bulgaria a thesis with her daughter that had gone to school with me. Uh, I knew that I was never going to get to Bulgaria, and I think that she knew that I was never <laughs> going to get to Bulgaria. I, I paid for that invitation. And so when the plane landed in Barajas in Spain, uh, I asked for asylum in Spain. And then I came to the United States a few months later, a very legal means. Yeah, at that point, yeah. And Gladys, since leaving Cuba and then ending up in the U.S., have you been back many times? Have you seen, uh, you know, Cuba over these last decades? And what has been your impression if you have gone back over the change these last years? I have been back and my family lives in Cuba. I, um, I went back seven years after I left. I had done all my paperwork and then I have married, I married an American. So I, I am an American citizen. But I, when you, even though there, there are always Christians visiting Cuba, you have family in Cuba, you can go and visit. The situation in Cuba has n- never changed very much for the Cubans. Cubans have a ration card. The government feeds them, the government cures them in their hospitals. The government educates them. Um, the Cuban people, they don't have the ability to do their, to start their own business, to open, to open their own store or to do their own uh, street. Let's say they want to do a street cart selling something. You see it's in Mexico a lot, people selling fruit and things like that in, in the street. The farmers have restrictions to sell their products. Fishermen have restrictions to sell their products. It's the only owner in Cuba is the Cuban military. And they allow a few places. They uh, Starting in, in 10 years ago, they started allowing a few home restaurants where, let's say here in my home, I just cook and I put a few tables and I sell what I cook to the people that come and, uh, and buy it. But how could a person have a restaurant? There is a ration card. There are no places where you can go and buy food to cook in your restaurant, to sell things in your stores. Everything is controlled by the government. Everything goes through 
that Cuban military, they're the ones that own the bank's accounts and they, they purchase products in stores that are only, um, products can only be bought with dollars. The Cuban people are paid in pesos. So in order to have dollars, you have to depend on a family member that have left Cuba that send you the dollars. 10% of that money gets taken away once it gets into the country by the government. And then the rest of the money is exchanged with a currency that doesn't really have any value and it's just to purchase those stores. And regular Cuban people that do not have anybody that have left and just like Mexican people that lived in the U.S., they send remittances to their families in Mexico. The Cuban people have uh, lived, the, the ones that live a little more comfortable lives are the ones that family members that have left, unfortunately. You know, it seems to me, Gladys, that you're describing that people are very limited in the way in which they can purchase products, um, types of services, etc., through this rationing sort of system. How is it, in your opinion, on the psychology of the people there when they see people like foreigners come and then bring dollars or whatever other currency and are, are free to spend however they want in Havana or whatever other place and then its own people can't do that? How is the psychology an impact? Well, imagine... Imagine this is a very difficult thing for the people that live in Cuba. The people that live in Cuba, they have, we have been called by the regime, we have been called traitors, we have been called uh, maggots, terrible words. They have told the Cuban people that we are the enemies of the revolution because we have deserted the, the, the country. But then they turn around and they have all the military and the upper chalant of the Communist Party in Cuba lives rich billionaire life that we bring back our family members. The Cuban people feel betrayed and the Cuban people for the first time in 62 years have said we don't want this system anymore. This is a, this has been basically a repudiation of leftist ideas all over the world. Cuba was used as an example of, of what a government could do for their people. And with this rebellion on the 11th June, the Cuban people have exposed how cruel the government is to its people. And imagine if you if you are a young person that is going to the school and is being told that the revolution is uh, advance your life, uh, make your life better, and make you a professional or give you a better way of living, and that the person that is leaving the country that is your uh, in school that is your friend, that person is a traitor. A person is a maggot, is a traitor of your values. And then seven years later, five years later, you see those people coming back into the country. And they're the only ones that can go to a hotel. They're the ones that can buy in stores that you cannot buy. They get 
access to restaurants you cannot go to. They can invite their families to, to go on a trip and pay with dollars or whatever currency that they replace the dollars with. And so it's like a slap in the face of the, Cub the Cubans that have been not supported, at least silent um, against, you know, for the prop and, and have stood up for the propaganda of the Cuban Communist Party. It's very sad because the people that have been loyal to the Communist Party just realize that they are being betrayed. And what that includes not only the lower level uh, people that are members of the Communist Party, but also the, the middle and lower level military policemen. They go through the same problems that, that the rest. Money is only left for the 1%. You know, Gladys, like psychologically, I'm trying to figure out how that type of structure is generally maintained, right? So in my mind, when somebody tells you, hey, we're going we're gonna to provide and promise all these things to make sure that we as a nation or we as a group or we as a society, whatever, are a cohesive unit, right? It's going to include, mm -hmm. it's going to include free healthcare, it's going to include stability is going to include free education etc like it seems to be a, a very sort of a pact that's in, involves a lot of promise and compromise right so how how is it then that the that those ways of trying to sell that or you know present that idea to its people how do they think that that will be the best way in which they assume everyone will be happy, right? You know, like, well, I how do you, how do you explain the psycho? Like, I'm, I'm not trying to go in this in a, you know, psychoanalysis way, but it's, I think it's important to understand that because for me, I'm trying to imagine if someone is saying to you, we're going to give you all this, everything's going to be like this. You just gotta, you just gotta go with it. How, how is the, where does the part of the convincing aspect of that come into play in your mind, like based on what you hear? Well, I wasn't alive. Um, I was born in 67. So I wasn't alive when Castro uh, took power in 59. Uh, my, my mother was a teenager. There were, there were a, the first thing that they do is, is um, you know, because we've seen leftist movements all over Latin America, we have seen them in Europe. Um, they and, and it's happening here in the United States. And right now, the base is being manipulated and used to divide the the American people. First of all, these move, movements are supported, and they are helped and um, advanced by middle class and the upper middle class. People with money and resources are the ones that they propose these kinds of leftist ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, th these movements don't come from the proletariat. They don't come from the people, the, the most, uh, the, the working class. They're busy working, trying to make a living, doing their thing, loving their country, being religious. 
um, taking care of their family. These are movements of the middle class and up. They, they are the ones that are trying to change societies and their structures. They, the promise is a, it's a, it's a fallacy. And, and we have seen it over and over again. It happened in socialist bloc. Work it's happening in China, it only works for the Communist Party. It's happening in Cuba, it happened in Bolivia, in uh, Central America, Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Colombia has now been having some issues with this with this type of ideology. The idea that you put every single aspect of your life in the hands of a bureaucracy that will take care of your most, your needs, your needs for food, for healthcare, for education, and that that bureaucracy is going to be loyal to you once they have all the power over your life is a lie. And whoever is believing in, in that is completely, they have no idea what they're signing up for. I'm curious, Gladys, from your perspective and knowing, I don't, I don't want to overly generalize, but your general sentiment um, from Cuban people in general, like I, I would have a generalization if I were to describe where I'm from and the people and things like that. But from your perspective and your general idea of the way you see your people from Cuba is like, what, what sort of inherent sort of values what what sort of things are important for people of cuba in general as they aspire to have a certain way of life for example do they do do most of the people desire to have a family do most are most of the people religious are um do they want to be entrepreneurs i don't know could you give us kind of a contextualization from your opinion of how Cuban people are and what they generally desire? Uh, if you were going to describe uh, in general the Cuban people, they are very family oriented. And I think that, that, that we have a lot in common with Mexicans in, in that sense. The Cuban people, they, for the most part, they meet with their family members on Sundays. They they take care of their aunts, their grandmothers, their great-grandmothers, their uh, relatives. Everybody in the extended family is considered family, is considered close family. And also the Cuban people, are um, they're, they're good people are hard. They're not aggressive, although we come off as intense because we speak very fast. Se llama la pasión, se llama la pasión, nada más. Oh, yes. <laughs> we speak very intensely, we have eye contact. Uh, está bien, está we're, bien. We're loud and uh, we, are, we are passionate about the things that we want to explain to others. And, but if you think about how much pe the Cuban people have put up with, they have humiliated themselves, they have been put on their knees by a, a government that lied to them and said that they were going to take care of their basic needs and then turn around and live lavish lives on, on, on the money of the Cuban people by taking it away from the Cuban people. I would describe 
Cubans are very family oriented, not as religious because uh, the Castro regime have been very successful at taking uh, anybody that would believe in any sort of religion uh, that, that was prosecuted and persecuted for a long time. And now only after 1994, Castro allowed the Pope to and and then has allowed churches to function. But you have to wonder how um, the, the government and the church have been, how much do they, um, they eye on the Cuban people? You are marked. To understand that the Cuban people are under constant surveillance, not because they have cameras. Uh, the Castro regime has established a block-by-block -block surveillance on the Cuban people. They have what is called the Committees for the Defense of the Revolution, and then that committee has a person that knows everybody in the block who lives there how many children they have, who visits, who comes and goes from the house. And that committee for the defense of the revolution, which is in every block, is a person in your block. It's a tie to the security, um, seguridad nacional, the, um, like, like the, um, kind of like the FBI, the equivalent to the FBI in the United States. Um, the, the security uh, um, apparatus is in contact with the Comité de Defensa de la Revolución and everybody's lives is known to the regime. You cannot do anything, say anything, believe in anything without people knowing it. For me, it sounds so striking and bizarre that when foreigners go and visit Havana or, and they go you know, to different parts of Cuba, Every time I hear someone going to Cuba, it's like, oh, it was so nice and all the old cars and the music and the girls and the, the cigars and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just, it sounds so lavish. It sounds like a, a paradise, you know? So I'm like, how is it, how in the world is it that if foreigners go and visit and they have this, this beautiful kind of sexy experience of Havana and the, the Ernest Hemingway kind of idea of it, you know, et cetera. Like, how is it that they can go there and, you know, are treated like kings and queens, but not understand all this you're talking about. How is that even possible? Well, I think that the Cuban people are, they laugh at themselves. They don't, they're not, they have not really, they, they, they have taken the dictatorship that is pressed upon them with just a um, self, uh, kind of making fun of themselves. They they laugh at their necessities. They laugh at, and they're very friendly. And we are fascinated by anybody that comes from the outside because it's a country that have been fierce. Uh, war, imaginary walls have built around the country. People, Cubans cannot travel. If they, if they leave, they have to go and they go and they try to escape. They go wherever they go. There are Cuban people everywhere, all around the world. With this this event that happened in June 11, you have an understanding of how many people had left Cuba and escaped. 
there are people uh, protesting in, in the Cuban embassies all over the world, Italy, Mexico, Bolivia, Argentina, uh, Colombia, everywhere in Europe, uh, Germany, Switzerland, Sweden, everywhere in a community of people have had the opportunity and they have left. The people who have stayed inside, first of all, not the first time this happened on June 11th, but openly complain or criticize the regime. Now you're going to be called on, somebody's going to tell on you and you're going to mark by the regime and you cannot get a job. The government is the only employer and the government is the only one that can educate you. The government is the only one that can take care of you if you have a medical emergency. You do not want to have any runs in. So the Cuban people take, take it at stride. They just make fun of the situation. They, uh, they make fun of the bread that they have to eat. It's a stale bread that is just being like, smells like roaches. And it just, they give you, for a family of five, they give you like three pieces of bread. That's what you get because it's ration. And <laughs> So basically, the one humiliation after another. So the way that people in Cuba can cope with this is by making fun of it, by laughing about it. And they're naturally very friendly and curious about other people. So that's why the people that visit Cuba are so, they, first of all, they can go anywhere that the, Cuba, the rest of the Cubans cannot go. They have access to restaurants and, and hotels. And Cuban people are educated, they're friendly, they, they like exchange of ideas, they like to know about the exterior, or to know what's happening in the world, they're curious, they're smart. That's why people that go to Cuba, they don't, they don't um, bother just lifting the curtain and looking past the curtain. They go to the places that the regime allows restaurants and and that's that and then they go home plus a lot of people go to Cuba to have fun because young girls and boys like to make friends with somebody that have dollars better their lives what I mean it's a travesty it's the same thing that happens in Thailand I where poor people just befriend tourists and tourists take advantage of the uh, people's situation. Unbelievable. This is just mm -hmm. such a mind-blowing kind of phenomena. But I, Devin, I, I have to clarify that not everybody that goes to Cuba goes in, in that... Um, no, of course not. Yeah. Yes. They, no, they go to, to enjoy... There is, there is this... There is this idea of the Cuba before the revolution. Right. It was a very it was a country that was doing very well economically, even though we had a, a, a regime, we had a, a golpe de estado by Batista. Batista was not a, a, a legal uh, government. Uh, they they um they were there. How do you say Golfe de Estado in English? Golfe de uh, Estado? Uh-huh. 
was when a regime is a military regime that doesn't doesn't um doesn't follow bureaucratic uh, rule. But Cuba was a republic that was successful. People were successful. If you look at the footage from the 1950s, you see it was a good life. It was relaxed. Yeah, right. Uh, yes, there was poverty. I, I am from the countryside. There was a lot of poverty. And there were places where there was no But it would have happened eventually without the Cuban Revolution. It would have happened naturally. Yeah. Uh, that people would have better their lives. Because, as we know, and it's been proven over and over again, only thing that can better human beings exchange of ideas. Yeah. Freedom of freedom of speech and an open and the only thing that better human beings. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's just you know, like we we have an innate ability inside of us. Not ability, I would say we have an innate desire more than anything just to express. Right? I think more than anything, being human, we desire. The, the just natural state of just expression, right? For in all facets, right? And for yes. any of that way of it being kind of suppressed in any way, really kind of contracts our internal type of energies or internal type of emotions. And that can be worse in the long run because that can lead to certain issues of anxiety and depression and many other things. So if some, if we are being told no for something, we can't be essentially us. I mean, that is just a terrible state of being, you know? So I, I just really can't imagine. And guys, this is just a fascinating conversation. I just want to ask you maybe just a couple more things. What, one of them is out of curiosity. Um, do you like, do people in Cuba, how do they see someone like Che Guevara? Like, because when you go to rock concerts and other parts of the world, or you go to, you know, you go to some sort of shop and someone behind the counter is selling you something, you may so- see someone wearing this Che Guevara shirt and look so cool and, you know, like a bad boy or a bad girl or however you want to put that. But do people actually from Cuba see someone like him as, wow, he was a great guy who changed our country, in your opinion? Well, you have to understand that the Cuban people are under a constant, constant attack when it comes to um, manipulating their information. The Cuban people are not free to go and get any books that they want at the library. As just recently, the internet was allowed in Cuba. They couldn't say no anymore. And it has created problems for the Cuban government. They, you see, when you go, when you're in Cuba, you have been bombarded with um, ideology, communist ideologies at school since you are in kindergarten. I can tell you how I decided to leave the moment that I made the decision to leave Cuba was the moment I was walking by a daycare center. And Little kids, two, three, four years old, they were playing in the playground in a building in Havana, and they were dressed like the heroes of the revolution, and their their faces were painted with chalk, dark chalk, just to imitate 
leaders of the revolution, Che Guevara, Camilo Cienfuegos, and Fidel Castro, Raul Castro. And then it was bizarre. It was, it was very upsetting to me, even growing up under the, the um, um, ideology was just putting on me since I was a child. When I stood there as a 22-year-old and looked at those children, something inside me told me this is so wrong. A, a child belongs to their parents and their heroes should be the heroes that they and their child out and follow. Not be Uh, imposed by a regime on children to follow certain ways of being or modes of thinking that have been imposed by some political leaders on the crust of society. It was so wrong, it just disgusted. And at that moment, I said to myself, I cannot have children here. I have to leave. I have to go. Yeah. Um, what? what yeah. It, When, when um, the Cuban people, they don't know anything about their leaders. The lives of their leaders is a secret. Fidel Castro was married the whole time. I didn't find out that Fidel Castro had a wife until I came to the United States. I had no idea. The Cuban people didn't know. He kept his wife secret. Would not meet in front of any um, 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 a personality that came to visit. Not into publicly introduce his wife, not show himself in public with his wife. Wife was just kept as a, as a state secret. Nobody in Cuba knows what is the private life of. So people in Cuba don't know the reality of their history past 1959. They they know it if they have lived it or it's been passed around by verbally. Or people that have left have told stories, but the people in Cuba they don't really know that there is a possibility that Camilo Cienfuegos was killed by by um, Del Castro. There's a chance that he was he ordered to kill Camilo Cienfuegos because um, he ordered Camilo Cienfuegos to go and and squash some rebellion uh, that happened in the eastern side of the country and and it looks like Camilo didn't do what he ordered and so all of a sudden Camilo disappeared. They don't know that Che Guevara was the biggest murderer in the beginning of the revolution. He was in La Cabaña killing people without due process and And there is a story of a young boy, 12 years old, that was killed by Che Guevara. And, yeah. and, and, mm -hmm. and what I've heard from people that were there or have acted, that the people that died by the hand of Che Guevara would die telling Viva Cristo Rey. Uh, you know that phrase. Mm -hmm. yeah. Probably if you live in Mexico, yeah, they 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 were calling, they were they were declaring their faith only to their God, and 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 Che Guevara had no mercy, no mercy in a young boy, and no mercy in those people that 
they have no they have no mercy and that was that's very clear now for the world to see they have no mercy on the Cuban people, the people that they say they represent. Let me tell you, Devin, the people that came out on the streets, they were not the elite. They were not the people that lived better in Cuba. These people that came out on the streets are were students and the people that have nothing. They are the most dispossessed. We are talking a house with no water, no bathroom. They go, some of them have to go to the bathroom in a bucket. We're talking about places that have no street, where the, the waters that come out of your faucet mix together with your drinking water. These people have nothing, and they say we have nothing to lose anymore. And that's why they were yelling, we have no fear anymore. No tenemos miedo. They lost their they lost their fear for the repression of the Cuban regime. Yeah, I they're just they're just sick of it, I think, you know, and the thing is and I encourage all of our viewers and all of our listeners, you know, really immerse yourself um I think more than anything to know about these sort of realities as they really are, right? Like Gladys story, mm -hmm. Gladys insights and revelations about her her home country you know i really encourage all of our viewers and listeners you know really seek out seek out more than anything because sometimes we just may not be exposed to the correct information but seek out really really good information good sources good insights from people who are really knowledgeable about these situations have these experiences and know, know the realities on the ground. I think more than anything, like if you've listened to this whole episode, you should really understand that this is a real situation that Gladys is sharing and a history that Gladys is sharing and that we really need to do all of us our best and to think a little more critically on what the world is and what it's really like and really, you know, be there for those who really want a true sense of freedom for their life, who want to be them, who want to be themselves, who want to, you know, embrace life, live life, love life. You know, we all want that in the end of the day. We're all the same. We all possess the same kind of desires, I think, right? And no, and if, Absolutely. if any one of us has an aspect of that taken away, you know, it really can really damage us, right? And I think if anyone out there who has true kind of empathy and compassion and wants to help their fellow man and woman some way, they will, they should really try to do their best in the best way that they can to help. So Gladys, I thank you so much for being on this amazing could I episode. Say, could, I say, could I say something? something Absolutely, like please. Something. Absolutely. Since you, since, you are, since you are in Mexico, you're living in Mexico, this is a cautionary tale to the Mexican people. Right. The, the leftist ideas are cantos de sirena. It's like Iron's uh, uh, song, songs from, from, the, from mermaids. Be careful, don't follow the songs of the mermaids. Yeah. Right. The, the leftist ideas are ideas that eventually leave people 
entrapped in slavery. You see it in China with the eager uh, population. You see it in Cuba with the whole entire country. Uh, you see it, oh, you saw it in the socialist bloc, in the communist bloc. You've seen it in, in uh, Nicaragua and Venezuela. Don't be distracted by what they tell you they want for you. Be careful, Mexican people, because once you put your freedoms in the hands of, of um, politicians that are trying to enchant you, you may never get those freedoms back. It's a cautionary tale for anybody that is listening to me in South America, in Central America, and in the United States. Don't believe in leftist ideas. Leftist ideas are very well intended. They sound fantastic. They look good. But in reality, they lead humans to less freedom and less self-fulfillment. You end up being slaves of a minority that has all the control over you. Don't listen to the Mervey song. Be aware that their lies and that if you want to be free, you have to look for a better solution. Full of law, fight um, discrimination and corruption. That is actually uh, the path for the people that want to better their lives. But it's not communism and it's not socialism. Whoever is selling you these ideas, they are lying to you because it has been proven through history that in the end, end up murdering people, yelling people, just like it's happening in are disappearing, our students are pulling jail with no due process. Be careful. Fight for your friends and don't believe in songs from mermaids. They're that lying. Is. They're trying to distract you. That's a very powerful, powerful insight and powerful statement. I think yeah, we need to really 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 understand that and really pay attention to that and that's a very incredible message guys and so i think i thank you so incredibly much for this conversation today gladys i thank you for speaking for you know also the you know cuban people and and it's amazing really i know people from cuba as well like other people and they're just they're great human beings they're great they have a beautiful culture the cigars are great of course <laughs> you know the music's fantastic so I really thank you for sharing this very amazing conversation with our viewers and listeners, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Devin. Thank you very much. And we will see you all on the and, next. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And viva Cuba libre. Viva Cuba libre siempre. Right? Thank you so much, guys. And we'll see you. you all on the next episode. Take care, everyone. Mm -hmm.